On the weekend of the 28th of October, the Barbican Centre in London will once again play host to the Battle of Ideas Festival. The weekend-long event will feature two days of high-level, thought-provoking public debate, and within that a variety of topics will be discussed within a variety of different formats of discussion. And what we hope to do in this mini-series is showcasing some of the topics that will be covered and those people who will be covering them. And we start with the breaking news that the internet giant Google has been hit with a record 2.42 billion euro fine for breaching... I'm Max Anderson. And this the is Battle Cry. Is that they are abusing their powers by promoting their own shopping comparison service at the top of search results. Earlier this year, the European Union handed Google a whopping £2.14 billion fine for supposedly abusing its dominance of the search engine market. According to the EU investigation, Google denied both the consumer's right to choose as well as the rival firm's ability to compete. Ireland must collect $14.5 billion in back taxes from Apple. Now add this to the £11 billion that fellow tech giants Apple were ordered to pay in back taxes to Ireland, as well as the countless other examples of misbehaviours coming out of Silicon Valley, and the picture of a pack of corporate bandits starts to materialise. With special laws that effectively allowed Apple to pay less than 1% corporate tax, the EU accused Apple. But are these tech giants any worse than other big companies around, or is the criticism somewhat misguided? And ultimately, has Silicon Valley finally lost its way? Hello. This is Jamie Bartlett. Uh, I'm a writer and I presented the BBC series The Secrets of Silicon Valley. Um, brilliant. So Jamie will also be speaking at this year's Battle of Ideas Festival, where he'll be taking part in a session that asks whether those companies from Silicon Valley have gone from heroes to zeros. Before we get into why this may have happened, I wanted to know when this supposed shift happened. I mean, Silicon Valley, by which we generally mean the big tech companies, has always had its critics. But I think in the last really only... 18 months, maybe three years, I think we've seen a bit of a general shift of public opinion about the role that these tech companies play, concerns and worries about their size, their power, their behavior. And that's from journalists to filmmakers to members of the public. Lovely. And then maybe just focusing on, on two to three examples, and I think the, the idea of kind of... Uh, Whose data is it um, would be a good one to bring in towards the end. But, but why do you think this, this shift in public perception has occurred? It's an interesting question exactly why. Part of it, I think, is a sort of huge growth in the last five years, a recognition that companies like Facebook and Twitter have gone from being simply useful places for people to connect with their friends into something that holds huge economic, social, political power. And so you suddenly have a slight change of opinion about their role in society. I mean, any great organization that's very powerful, very large, financially powerful, culturally powerful, suddenly has a lot of uh, responsibilities in society. And I think there has been a general opinion that as they've got so much bigger, perhaps they haven't sort of been as responsible with that increased role that they play. 
I think you see that in all sorts of different ways. I mean, everything from the European Commission's fine antitrust fine levied on Google to TfL's role in uh, not renewing Uber's license to the role that Facebook may have played in the election of Donald Trump. So a a series of stories over the last year or so, I think are all signs of of essentially the same thing, that these massive disruptive companies are changing society in so many ways. And without the usual sort of control that societies tend to place on such changes. Uh, and, and then if we move on to this idea of, of kind of data, because this is something that I think is quite interesting when it comes to, to this argument. Part of the shift arguably has come with this kind of um, rising of awareness in the public of how and why companies are using their data. Do you think that was a, an important factor? Yeah, I definitely think there's sort of huge surprising growth really in a way of public understanding that actually most of these companies are based on the extraction of personal information which is then used either to sell adverts or to improve products and i guess a growing uneasiness about how that data is being used now and how it might be used in the future i mean repeatedly we are now told that data is the new oil and if that is the case then suddenly we're looking at companies that are holding on to incredible amounts of oil but can I also say something else? Because I think there is something else going on here as well. So one of the big changes has been the way that newspapers in particular have sort of turned on the big tech companies. And that partly is a result of the fact that Google and Facebook in particular now completely dominate online advertising, which is in direct competition to many of the big newspapers who feel aggrieved that these companies are not treated with the same sort of publishing requirements and restrictions that they are, and yet are cleaning up the online advertising space, leaving newspapers to feel, understandably, quite unfairly treated. And as a result, I think that partly explains why in the last couple of years in particular, You've seen a slew of stories that are very, very anti-Google and Facebook in particular. So there is a financial reason underlying all of this. So so would it be right to say then that the the sort of traditional avenues of of journalism are being threatened by these kind of disruptive technologies? You think that's that's a factor? Uh, Yeah, I absolutely think that's a factor, yeah. And I think that is partly how, how... public opinion has changed because of the number of stories about these tech firms written by newspapers who see them now as direct competitors. So there's no doubt to me that the big tech firms do offer or do create a great challenge for traditional journalism. Equally, they do open the door to new forms of journalism, new citizen journalism, for example. But the question remains as to whether that is enough to maintain a kind of healthy media ecosystem. I mean, it just seems like the, the EU regulators are going after American companies with these, and now some executives from Apple in particular saying, this is too much, this needs to stop, this yes. is a witch hunt. Now exactly how much of a role this threatened skew from the mainstream media plays is very, very hard to disentangle. 
What isn't so hard to unpick is the rising tide of public awareness when it comes to how many of these tech giants are using data about their users. That said, as explained by Jamie, this wasn't always the case. Neither Google nor Facebook were, when they were invented, they'd had no real sense of what their business model was. And it wasn't about collecting personal information. It was actually much later in the day that both of these companies realized they had to monetize their products somehow. And the way that they were going to be able to do that was through the collection of personal data. And so they almost accidentally stumbled into it. And I think the concern for people is the sort of possibility of misuse of that information. So have they always been as open and as transparent as they could have been about the sort of data that they're collecting, what they do with that data, or the rights that people might have to get that data or information back? And a lot of people think, well, no, actually, probably not. And because they have such a, a, a sort of powerful business case, which depends on the continued collection of that personal data, people, I think, are rightly slightly nervous about, I guess, where that might lead. So uh, I think it's a bit more than just, you know, I think, as ever with these debates, I suppose, it's a little bit more complicated than, than simply you know, angry people, uh, irrationally angry about a new business model. So in that way, if, if these companies were, were set up as kind of peer-to-peer -peer or, or platform models or, or, you know, they just wanted to create a social media, but then they, they realized that they somehow needed to monetize it, is, is it does it represent a, a problem with that kind of, um, I don't know, internet ideal of, you know, having these peer-to-peer -peer and circular economies and all this, but then actually realizing that you have to fit it in with capitalism in 2017 yeah. well i think that's i think i think that's absolutely right that the sort of utopian dreamy vision which i think most of the big tech firms actually genuinely do sign up to and believe it's not a front it's not just a veneer they do believe in the power of uh, social media and connectivity and disruption and but they've sort of what happens in silicon valley is that they they run into the necessity of raising huge amounts of venture capital and the need to keep posting quarterly growth figures in order to keep paying off their investors. And so, unfortunately, I think what's happened, and maybe this has probably driven some of the problems that we're talking about, is that they are, on the one hand, preaching a very a sort of a noble social project of changing the world and improving it and helping people, but on the other, they, of course, are restricted in what they can do because they have to keep growing and making money by a sort of quite a harsh version of capitalism. And so there has been, I think, in some cases, a, a an understandable discrepancy between what they say and what they do. And that, I think, leads to far greater scrutiny of these companies in some respects compared to others. I mean in many ways they're not behaving really any differently to lots of different big businesses out there but i think we increasingly are more worried about those companies simply because they imagine themselves to be different and they talk in a much more utopian way so therefore do you think it's a bit of part of the uneasiness in the public might be a bit of confusion as to to who these people are because you know they're as you say they're a lot of them are very liberal yet 
they're you know making millions and millions of dollars a day is it is it partly because we we can't really identify what group of people these these people yeah. identify with yeah i think that's i think that's part of it and, I, and, I, and I, but i think this always comes with people that are incredibly wealthy and the truth is that the five most valuable companies in the world are now all tech firms six of the 10 richest people in the world are tech are tech titans from the big tech firms and yet they all simultaneously talk about how they're not in it for the money and they're helping the world and they're trying to improve people's lives. We're making the world a better place through Paxos algorithms for consensus protocols. And we're making the world a better place through software-defined data centers for cloud computing. And so I think you know, for, for, for many people, inevitably, very, very rich people that keep saying that they're not in it for the money raises a bit more sort of suspicion and confusion maybe than it would in other... <laughs> In other places. So, mo, low. And we're Molo So. We're low, mo, so, bro. We were solo, mo, but now we're Mo, low, so. No, mo, so, low. And then that sort of leads, I've got a couple more questions, Jamie. That sort of leads nicely onto the, the next one this idea there's been a lot of negative press, and obviously now with that idea of, you know, the lens the press chooses to, to show these companies. But there's been a lot of negative press about the kind of culture and, and the working practices that exist in a lot of these big tech firms. And you obviously made that wonderful two-part documentary series uh, looking into this. Um, do you think it is all that bad? Or, or, I mean, I get the sense that maybe it's just as bad as every other company out there, but it's just that they're scrutinized more. There, there are some obviously pretty bad examples and... Um Uber, Uber's behaviour in particular has been quite rightly highlighted. And I think it might stem from the very top. I mean, it, Uber always saw itself as a really kind of cutthroat, tough, disruptive, scrappy company. You know, if you needed to, you'd uh, sort of skirt around the regulations to make sure that you got your business going, that kind of philosophy. And I think, you know, it's been reasonably well documented that that sort of culture has filtered all the way through the company from Travis Kalanick down. But more generally, I think it is partly that extra level of scrutiny because, yeah, many of the problems that they face, you know, massive underrepresentation of women, underrepresentation of minority groups, a sort of, in some cases, a bit of a, a mythology and hero worship of the guys and it's always guys at the very top who are these super brilliant technologists or engineers you know a lot of companies have exactly that problem a lot of them do but the difference is that i think silicon valley likes to present a vision of itself to the world that is completely different to that that we're all about equality and helping and connectivity and so as a result, it holds itself up to a higher standard that I think sometimes it, it cannot sustain. Lovely. And then, Jamie, just final question. With that in mind, because obviously, the, as you say, the kind of mainstream sort of media angle is that these guys are all awful and everything's terrible and these guys should be held held accountable for everything that's going wrong with the world pretty much it seems like yeah why why is it important with that in mind why is it important to have uh, you know things like the battle of ideas to try and i suppose unpack these arguments a bit yeah because i think there, there's a bit of a danger that we lose sight of the benefits of how these what these big tech firms have given society i mean 
we, we tend to go far to one way or the other. We, uh, we extol them as the sort of greatest disruptors that we've ever seen in helping society. And then we swing the other way and say they're destroying the world and it's going to lead to the end of democracy and all the rest. And the reality is that, you know, a lot of these big tech firms are, they're somewhere in the middle. They have done some incredibly fantastic things for individuals and for society and for democracy. And also they're creating some significant problems for us. And it's really important that we tease out what they are because otherwise we will have this huge anti-technology backlash, a new sort of wave of Luddism and uh, the result will be a great detriment to our economies and our societies. So we don't want that to happen either. To find out more about the festival, head over to www.battleofideas.org.uk.